I mean, I can talk about myself was a really good individual contributor who had mm-hmm. great subject knowledge expertise. And then suddenly was in a position where I was put in charge of a team and told, get that team to do what you can do. And not having a lot of support around the how to do it and how my day, my day-to-day, like the huge change in my day-to-day where it was going from, you know, 80% involved in the work, 20% maybe involved in affinity groups and fun stuff and stretch mm-hmm. projects to 80% focusing on the work of other people, giving up the work that I did that I was really good at. That was really tough. Welcome to Manager to Manager, a podcast about the experiences of people leaders and how we can enable them to lead engaged, healthy, and high-performing teams. I'm Kamaria Scott, your host, and I'm thrilled to have you join us as we learn, lead, and succeed together. Welcome to the first episode of Manager to Manager, where we have real conversations with people who are currently or have previously led teams. I'm very excited to introduce you to my first guest, Johanna Simon. She and I met at a conference a few years ago, and we bonded over the fact that we are both heavily involved in people leadership. And so I knew when I wanted to talk about managers, I wanted to talk to somebody who not only helps develop managers, but also was a manager herself. So welcome, Johanna, to the to the podcast. Thanks. Pleasure to be here. It is wonderful to have you. And if you would, tell me a little bit or tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, what you do, and your experiences leading teams. I have a little bit of a quirky career. So I started in management consulting. I have 20 plus years in financial services and a variety of different types of role, primarily at the intersection of legal regulatory uh, development and operations. Over the course of my career, managed teams. I've managed managers. I've managed managed functions. So have an interesting perspective on the role of the manager in an organization. That, that's amazing. If you could think about through your own experience leading people, what's something that you think managers might struggle with that we don't often talk about? Oh, that is such a great question. There are so many things. I think Probably the top, I'll, I'll give you, you asked me for one, I'll give you two. Okay. I think the top two things that new managers struggle with that we never talk about are identity crisis and vulnerability. We tend to, there tends to be a lot of support around the transition on the mechanics of how to be a manager, how to do performance reviews, how to understand and be able to articulate a compensation or a benefit statement. Even, even every manager's favorite activity, right? How to manage people out of an organization. And it's super procedural. It's steps. It's really understanding the HR policy mm-hmm. to kind of protect the actions of the manager. We, we don't really talk about the transition of that individual who moved, probably was put into a managerial role. I, I mean, I can talk about myself, was a really good individual contributor who had mm-hmm. great subject knowledge expertise. And then suddenly was in a position where... I was put in charge of a team and told, get that team to do what you can do and not having a lot of support around the how to do it and how my day, my day to day, like the huge change in my day to day where it was going from, you know, 
80% involved in the work, 20% maybe involved in affinity groups and fun stuff and stretch mm-hmm. projects to 80% focusing on the work of other people, giving up the work that I did that I was really good at. That was really tough. Yeah. And I could imagine that you go through a bit of an identity crisis when you when you switch from being an individual contributor to then leading a team. And we don't talk about the experience of it, to your point. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I kind of joke around, I think sometimes it's, it's going from this role of being a general, I mean, you, as an individual contributor, you start kind of in the front lines, and you, you work your way up to a general where you've got the strategy, you're commanding the situation, you've got a battle plan. And now you're being asked to be a diplomat. It's a Mm -hmm. completely different use of skills. It's less about brute force and, and executing on projects and Mm -hmm. more about the ability to motivate and influence people. And you're influencing up and down. You're influencing the people that are on your team to get things done. And then you're taking all of that collective knowledge and influencing up to leadership to, to, you know, effectively challenge unreasonable goals, to advocate for a member of your team to get promoted, Mm -hmm. to, to advocate for a change of strategy. So it's, it's an interesting transition that no one really prepares you for. They really don't. And, and I think the part about that that's difficult is you are figuring out a lot of it along the way. You're figuring out whether you need to be that general, whether you need to be that advocate, whether you need to be that politician. And at the same time, you're figuring out what kind of manager you want to be to your team, because that's not always spelled out for us either. So I'm curious as to, in your experience, how did you go about figuring out what kind of manager you wanted to be? Or even when do you play those different roles? Because there's a lot of different hats you wear. How How did you go about starting to understand that as a manager? Oh, so it's like so many good questions in one question. <laughs> Take your time. With so let me <laughs> let me tackle the first part of that. I didn't have a lot of good role models. So throughout the first half of my career, I'll say that I tended to work for pretty intense groups doing intense things. And I, I didn't really have an aspiration to be a people leader. It just looked mm-hmm. like it was a lot of extra um <laughs> a lot of extra aggravation, I'll be honest. Yeah. It wasn't until I worked for an amazing, amazing manager that I said, I, I really want to do this work. And when you when you ask, how did, how did you determine what kind of manager you wanted to be? I, I liken it to being a baby duck. I, I feel like <laughs> I imprinted on her. I spent a lot of time observing the work that she did. She, um, she modeled something called servant leadership, where she really, in her heart, believed her role was that she served her team. Her team didn't serve her. Mm-hmm. And in every conversation, it was about what can I do to help you grow in your career? What obstacles can I move for you? Where are the institutional barriers that are preventing you from being able to fully do your job? Where where are you frustrated in this role? Mm-hmm. And that that would be her primary driver. Um, she really kind of put her ego, she subjugated her ego and her own political drive and her own aspirations to support her team. And that I was like, that's what a manager is. And it served me for, for a a good amount of time until I realized that in different organizations and in different 
teams, to your point, you have to you have to have different approaches. And mm-hmm. that servant leadership isn't always the best approach. It's great to support your team. Yeah. But sometimes you really do. The best way that you can move your team forward is to further an agenda that you're going to promote that's your idea. And sometimes you have to do that and drag, <laughs> drag your team with you to the other yes. side. And so it was really, for me, observing people that got it right, people that were Mm -hmm. really successful and not just successful, but people that were successful, whose teams really, whose team members really enjoyed working for them. You know, you, you can look at people that are successful in organizations and there's, everyone knows the person that got to the top by climbing on the backs of others, but there are some folks that are incredibly successful and the people that work for them will follow them to the ends of the earth. Those mm-hmm. are the managers when they leave an organization and even though they sign a non- People follow them. People follow yes. them. And you're like, why would someone leave? And you're like, because they had the world's best manager. They did. And I always say, you know, there's that saying that people leave, they don't leave organizations, they leave managers. Yes. And I sometimes when I am coaching managers, I often try to ask, are you the kind of manager that, they would leave the organization for, because that's really who you want to be. You want to be the person that not drives people away from your organization, but that people are willing to follow you wherever you're, you're, you're you know, wherever you go. And I want to go, is, I was gonna say, that's really hard work. It, it is. It absolutely is. And I want to go back to something that you said, because again, you and I have a background in leadership development. So we know we, we spend tons of time training managers, but what you said about you imprinted on your manager. So the example that, you know, she set for you was kind of how you thought you should be a manager. And I don't think we talk about that enough in the conversation around managers and how we allow or encourage managers of, I'm going to say varying effectiveness Mm -hmm. to remain in an organization because to the extent that someone is a good manager or is an effective manager and someone like you will imprint upon them, there's also someone who is not an effective manager who is becoming the role model for other people. So is there anything, you know, that jumps out at you or, or where we think organizations maybe miss the boat on the importance of role modeling to develop new young managers? Yes. Oh, gosh. There, there's a lot in here. So so one is around kind of acknowledging that managers need to have a certain level of professional maturity, which is something that no one ever tells you, but is absolutely true. And to your point about, um, you know, I was hazed, so I'm going to haze other people. When I first mm-hmm. came to the team, I got the worst work possible. So I always give the the worst jobs to the new person. <laughs> like, yes. like that, that just to me displays a total lack of professional maturity. And and I think as leaders, when I when I look at the folks that I, I have managed, my goal has always been that they should have an easier time in the institution than I did, mm-hmm. right? My goal is that I, I got to where I got, and my dream is that one day I'll work for someone that worked for me, that they will mm-hmm. be able to take whatever the best I can give them and evolve even more, and I, I will have the privilege of working for them. And that would be like the greatest dream of of my life. Yeah. And I and not to be jealous of the success of the people that work for you because if you do your job correctly, you should be hiring better, more capable and more talented people than you are. And if you are not bringing those folks into the organization, 
what are you doing? What are like, you doing? <laughs> I'm not hiring my replacement. I'm hiring my boss's replacement. I'm hiring mm-hmm. a person that I see will evolve and jump frog over me into a, into a leadership role. Yes. That's, that's who we need to be bringing in. So you need to let go of your ego and mm-hmm. being a manager is not getting to be superior. It's not controlling what people do. Yes. It is, it is a nurturing, uh, a nurturing type role. It is. It is. You sound slightly passionate about it. Just a little bit. <laughs> I mean, and, and then the other, other piece of that, that I think organizations are starting to do is talk about empathy. You know, there are a lot of different ways and a lot of different styles you can be as a leader, but one of the one universal truth is that you have to lead and have and language and and listen with empathy. And if you can't display basic empathy, I think it, it there you will have an inability to manage people. If you can't see things from their perspective, if you yeah. can't take a step back from your own ego, mm-hmm. you're not going to be successful. Especially, I think, especially with newer and younger generations of the workforce where there is an expectation that you care about them as the whole person. I think in previous generations, we kind of kept our private lives separately. And I just think now there's such a melding in people bringing their whole selves to work. I mean, we've had years of now work being in literally in our living rooms. And so it's not possible to not care and to not empathize with the people that you're working, that, that work for you sort of going back to what you said about in different organizations as a manager, you almost have to, you have to sort of look at the landscape around you and figure out what kind of manager you have to be. How have you navigated kind of seeing, taking stock of yourself as a manager and then saying, these are some areas where I need to grow and how might you think, how might somebody else do that? Yeah. So I'll say, let me lead with, you have to not be naive. And for me, part of it was losing a little bit of that naivete that if I work really hard, I'll Mm -hmm. be rewarded. If I, you know, keep my head down and make my boss look good and do my job, everything will be fine. And, and, and ignore all the political spectrum around me, right? Ignore the Mm -hmm. culture of the company that I'm at. That that's actually really naive. Um, And so for me, part of it was really beginning to understand what motivates people, right? People, people are motivated by power. People are motivated by prestige. People are motivated by money. People are motivated by work-life balance. Everyone is motivated by something different, whether it be the people that work for you or the people that you work for. And I think part of that growth is beginning to understand what it is that motivates people and how you fit into that, right? So Mm -hmm. can't always, I mean, understanding when you have a message, how you're going to, how you're, I mean, that's like executive comms 101, understanding what's going to motivate that leader to drive action. You have to tailor your message and tailor your approach. So it's a long winded way of saying, open your eyes and open your ears and really understand the organization you're in. That's really great advice. How would you add on top of that, the ability of a manager to think about things like empathy, to think about things like um, care, words that we're starting to hear more of, that maybe that's not the original way that they came into becoming a manager. Those are some of the things that they originally, you know, thought was good. And now they're trying to make that transition. So I I will tell you, um, as a Gen X woman, 
I'm not going to tell you how old I am. No, no, never. <laughs> I'll say it's a Gen X woman. Celebrating um, the, the anniversary of some birthday. Yes, yes. This is really near and dear to my heart because, you know, when I when I got into the game, I really believe that you had to kind of um, stifle your identity and model yourself after kind of all the successful male leaders I saw around me. And I changed and adapted my style to be like them. Mm-hmm. when I was first getting onto teams. And it wasn't until I had this amazing manager who was a woman that I was like, oh, I can I can be compassionate. Like that's not, that's okay. That's actually a good thing. I, I think that led me down an evolution to what I think my real superpower is here. And it has taken me many years to be able to say this publicly and not be embarrassed <laughs> and not blush. But my superpower as a manager is love. Oh. And coming and, and as a woman for me to say it's about love, that, that's really tough, right? Because that that yes. can feed into a lot of stereotypes as women, as wives and mothers and caretakers. But I will tell you, the empathy, the compassion, mm-hmm. sympathy, the care, that all stems from the fact that I love the people that work for me. Yes. And that is the reason I have that that's my why of why I get out of bed in the morning. And when you they, they've been an interesting bunch. If you're listening, if you work for me, you're, you're part of that crew, right? Yeah. Um, and I didn't often always relate to where they were coming from. I didn't always understand some of the decisions that they made, mm-hmm. um, but I loved them and I wanted them to succeed. And that was what drove me to ensure that everyone had a really good developmental plan in place, yes. even where that meant not working for me even where that meant not working at the company we were at, pursuing a side project or a creative dream, um, helping people out the door where they weren't a good fit and they were not, they were stuck and they were unhappy. And there was this thought like, I could just wait it out. If I can just get past these 90 days, I can just get through remediation and having the courage and the love and the compassion to say, this job and this company, this isn't a good fit for you. Like you and it's and and yeah, you you may make performance, and then it's but it, but it's like this is just your heart's not in it. Don't you want to be somewhere where you can be your authentic self and love the work that you do and feel really good about it? But and it's yeah, it's love, yeah. It really is, and I I do think now more than ever it's okay to say that, but I think it's also okay to acknowledge that you can't be a good manager from behind a wall. You know, my one of my favorite sayings is managing is a full contact sport. Like you got to get in the game and you can't manage people and not genuinely care about whether or not they are successful, whether or not they're okay in the role. And even sometimes, you know, helping them to figure out what's a better fit is compassionate. It is care. And it's something I know that a lot of managers do struggle with. They, they struggle with those difficult conversations, but it is a compassionate way of helping them find what is right for them. So I love that you that you come from that place and that you can say that now because it's an expectation, I think, of managers that we care enough that we don't manage from arm's length and that we are willing to be emotionally involved appropriately, of course. Um with, <laughs> With love your team. people, don't love your people. Exactly. Um, and, you know, and it's interesting because I have seen 
over the course of my career where where I've had peers, right? I've been on leadership teams with other managers. And within this management team, right, there was this the us versus them where it was the managers versus the teams. And I think when you're a manager, the us is always you and the team. The yes. them should be everybody else, but you shouldn't. And I think there's a little, that's a little bit of this kind of prestige, like, oh, I'm a manager and I order people around and it's such an outmoded way of thinking. Yes. My my us, my pod has always been the people that I work with. And in fact, I don't say... It, when I when I would speak on panels and I would or I would go and and we do introductions in team meetings, I would never say I lead the team. I'd always say I work with X, Y, and Z. It's always I work with, right? I don't. They don't. You know, the success of the team is my success. My success is the team's success. Like we're we're a, we're a complete unit together, and I think that that is again where that love comes into play. That you have to love and have passion to like make sure everyone succeeds. And, and, and I, I wanted to add to that earlier, you said something about, you know, your second key point 20 minutes ago (laughs) was about, was about vulnerability. And I think there is something about vulnerability in, in not positioning yourself as the leader, but amongst the team and acknowledging that in some spaces you might even be on the same level as people who work for you. So can you speak to that? Yeah, the, the vulnerability plays out in a couple of ways. One is in your willingness to take feedback. And as a leader, I will approach my teams and say, this is the approach I'd like to take, but hey, you know, what's your take on this? Is this, does this work? Is this work for the team? Mm-hmm. Something as simple as do the flex hours that we work work? Do the deadline dates work? Does this approach work? And then creating a situation where folks can actually give feedback and we can talk about it. Because I don't want to assume just because I'm the manager, my idea is the best idea. Mm-hmm. Um, the second kind of area around vulnerability is to come clean when I get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are times where you, ha- being a manager, you make a hundred decisions every day and you have to sometimes make quick decisions based on whatever information is in front of you. And sometimes you you make a wrong call. And I think it's the ability to go back to the team and say, I think I committed us to something that may be difficult, (laughs) you know, like help me, like, where did I go wrong? And then going forward, you know, how can I get the information that I need to, to make a better decision? But I'll say I made a mistake and Mm -hmm. that's okay. Right. Cause it's not, it's not the making of the mistake. It's how we rebound from that and how we get better every time. And then I think the third piece to your point is to acknowledge, I want to bring in smarter, more talented, and more capable people than me. And so, and I'm not afraid to say, I brought you in for this reason. I think you're amazing. And I, and I can learn from you, right? Yeah. So especially for new joiners outside an organization, I can give you a, a bunch of institutional knowledge. I can give you the shortcut on how to get onto the best Slack channels. There's like a lot of things I can tell you about the leadership, how things are set up, the strategy. But I want to know from you, right? You have cutting edge information. You're speaking at conferences. You have uh, industry information. You just got a graduate degree. Let's share that with the team. Let's all get smarter and let's all benefit from your amazing knowledge. So I think that's, those are some of the ways I think vulnerability plays out in a really positive way. Oh, and I'm going to throw in a bonus. Yes. Um, we love bonuses. Bonus, <laughs> right? So, so also I'm a mom and I'm a working parent and I 
sometimes I got to like shut down at 430 to get to my kids recital. And sometimes, you know, I don't I don't want to work on the weekend. I want to go hang out and, and go to the park and have picnics. So there's a lot of things I want to do, too. And I think sometimes I think managers feel like they have to set this really high bar of extreme professionalism yes. and not allowing their humanness to come into play. Mm-hmm. And I try to make sure my folks know like, hey, like I've got a holiday coming up or an event coming up or, you know, this is what's on my mind or, you know, I'm a little distracted right now because I got to get through this parent-teacher conference. I, I, I'm i okay being a full human in front of my team. I want the same from them. So I know like if this isn't a good week for you, you've got a kid that's sick, like let's talk about it so that we can can move the work the right way. What I love about what you're saying is as the manager of of a team, I do believe that it's my job to set the tone. So if I am open and vulnerable, they will be open and vulnerable. If I laugh during meetings, they will laugh during meetings. If, you know, if I'm consistently buttoned up, they will follow suit. And so that awareness of not just vulnerability, but any tone that I set, more likely than not, they're going to follow that. So there is a need to be deliberate about what I put forth, the energy I bring to the team, because that's more than likely going to set the tone. And I try to honor that awareness and make sure that it's always, you can be human. We can get this work done and laugh. We can be, you know, okay to talk to each other as we get this work done. But knowing that, you know, whatever I do first, they're going to do next. And that, uh, and that responsibility and that weight is on me. Yeah. I mean, there's like a simple, I have a, a quick story around that. I, there was a team, I used to kind of come up with a, our week, what we were going to do every week. And I would send something out on Sunday nights. And finally, someone sat down with me and said like, hey, this is super stressful for us because we know you're going to send it out Sunday night. So we all feel like we need to be logged in on Sunday night to read your message. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no, no, I'm just, I'm getting it done Sunday night because that that's good for me. I don't expect that you're going to like, I never, I don't want you to respond back to me on Sunday. Like, let's talk about it Monday. Um, and this was before people started adding that footer to emails that said, yes. I'm sending this <laughs> at a convenient time for me, which now mm-hmm. is like ubiquitous. Everyone has them. Yes. I'm like, children gather around. There was a time, <laughs> there was a time back when we didn't have these things. Right. And, and there was an expectation that you, when your boss sent you a note, you would respond back immediately. Mm-hmm. And so I stopped, I, I, I continued to write the emails on Sunday and then I scheduled them in Outlook to mail them out Monday morning so that folks wouldn't get stressed about the times timestamp on a Sunday. And it's something as simple as that, as yes. a manager, it's like little actions like that, that yes. really can speak volumes about who you are. It, yeah, because I, I think one of the things that I teach to managers or have taught to managers in my L&D days was the importance of understanding cueing. Everything that Mm -hmm. you say and do is a cue to somebody, whether something is permitted or not, whether it's a norm or not, it's very unconscious, but it's, if I am logged in on an emailing Sunday night, it's a cue that we should be working on Sunday nights. Even if it just makes me comfortable because I get Sunday night jitters or I just like to be prepared. But if it's, it could be a cue. And so I do have to kind of just make sure that I'm saying, I'm either letting someone know, as you said, 
this is not a cue for you to also be online or I am scheduling it at a time where it pops in during their time zones. But so I have two, two final questions for you. One is, as you think about the, the transition of yourself as a manager through your entire career, be it a new manager, a manager of managers, it, it does kind of change. The experience changes us. We have different identities as we go through it. How can an organization help? Is there anything an organization can do to managers as they are navigating this journey or do for managers as they're navigating this journey? And then my, my final question to you would be, and what advice would you personally have for other managers along the way? From an institutional perspective, I think organizations need to invest in manager, whether you call it onboarding, assimilation, upskilling, but managers deserve just as much, if not more developmental support um, than their teams. And that support should include forums where they can actually talk (laughs) and talk about what it means to be, especially for new managers, what that experience is, being able to connect and be mentored by folks that have done this for a long time inside an organization that are successful and recognized as strong managers and leaders. I think creating these mentoring relationships and I think creating a space for managers to be able to work on their own development. I think a lot of folks are thrown in just like, I guess, in any kind of role in a big company, you're, you're thrown in and you're expected to deliver right away. And you're not given that pause to actually study upskill, set goals, Mm -hmm. figure out what it is you want to do. Give your managers a little bit of space to breathe and make it really clear, exquisitely clear, excruciatingly clear what your expectations are on these managers, what what you need them to do and make clear direction. And you know what? The The last thing institutions need to do is catch your managers doing something right. So that's Mm. what we as managers do for our teams. But how many organizations go to a frontline manager and say, you're doing a great job. I see your people are productive. I've noticed positivity on your team. You've done promotions. You've got people, you know, tuition reimbursements indicating that you're sending people are inspired. They're going back to school, like all of these things. Why aren't we recognizing managers for being great managers? Because that goes a a long way. That's inspiring. It does. What's so interesting about that is there are good managers out there. There are people, I I bet all of us could point to at least one person in our career who made a difference as a manager. And there's not really an accolade for that. There's not a way to say you're doing great. And organizations do tend to miss the opportunity to find those people and, and celebrate the work that they're doing. Yeah. I mean, call them out. Give those folks a spotlight. Give them a chance to speak on panels. (laughs) Give them a chance to be thought leaders on what it is. I mean, people are the most important asset of any company, which makes being a manager literally the most important role that you have because you are are in charge, right? You are safeguarding this precious asset of, of the people. And so let's give folks the respect that they're due for that. All right. Oh, you gave me a part two on this. My personal advice to new managers. So, um, or I even think developing managers cause... or developing managers. Okay. Cause like, there's so much in there. I could write a book. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, I think, I guess my number one top piece of advice is know what your why is. So managing people 
is not rocket science. I mean, definitely there are, (laughs) as much as you've (laughs) talked about it, right. But there's, there's like, it's, it's not like something that can't be learned. It's not something that can't be modeled. Um, Most people have the capacity to learn to be a good manager, but I think the important thing is understanding your why, why is it that you want to be a leader and get really honest with yourself. For some people, people leadership is a box to check to get them promoted, right? Yeah. So there are certain within organizations, there's a certain level you get to as an individual contributor. And then they're like, mm-hmm. well, now's the time you really have to manage teams if you want to get into that, crack that ceiling, get to yes. that director <laughs> VP level. So that could be someone's why, because they want to be a VP, so they have to manage teams. For some people, um, they they joy and delight in helping people succeed. And so that is their why. For some people... It's a realization that they have great ideas, but when you have a team right now, you have these resources that can really make a bigger dream happen than what you can do yourself. But wh- whatever it is, know what it is and be tr- and be honest with yourself what it is and act accordingly. Because <laughs> I think <laughs> trying to be someone you're not, you're going to be burning a lot of calories. You will not be happy <laughs> you're, and your people know. But if you're true to yourself and you figure out what it, why it is, what your why is, I think you'll have yeah. an easier time managing teams. That is wise and sage advice. Thank you for sharing your insight, Johanna. Thank you for sharing your experience with us. It has truly been a pleasure having you. To all of you who are listening, if you want to reach out to Johanna, just say hello or thank you. You can find her on LinkedIn. Do you want to tell them how they can find you, Johanna? Oh, I have an OG title on LinkedIn. I am uh, the LinkedIn backslash Johanna. J-O-H-A-N-N-A-H. So wow. So you've been like since the beginning. <laughs> you're, Johanna, you're fairly seasoned. <laughs> yes, Maria. I am. And I have the vanity URL to prove it. Yeah. Well, we know where all this wisdom comes from. Again, it has been such a great pleasure to have you uh join me on this episode. And we look forward to hearing you hearing from you soon in the near future. Thank you. I wish you continued success. To all of you listening, thanks for hanging out with us. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If there's a manager in your community who you think might also enjoy it, please feel free to share the episode. I hope it encourages you to take care of yourselves and each other. We'll see you next time on Manager to Manager.